Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the Huff Post Politics podcast. Try saying that when you're drunk. Uh, with me, Paul War, Graham Deminick and Ned Simons. This week, we'll look at Labour's trident troubles, the rise of croissant munchers, the fallout from the 2015 general election, and MPs and ex-ministers who use poppers. The political week started with Jeremy Corbyn's Andrew Marr interview and gave us a string of lines on secondary picketing, the Falklands, talks with ISIL, and most famously, the idea of nuclear submarines without nuclear weapons. First up is David Cameron in Prime Minister's Questions kicking the ball into the wide-open goal offered by Tory MP Carl McCartney. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that our nuclear deterrent only works against our nation's enemies if our nuclear submarines are actually equipped with nuclear missiles? And that, and that those such as the leader of the opposition who do not believe this have a defence policy inspired by the Beatles' yellow submarine and shows that while the members opposite may twist and shout, their current leader certainly needs help. I um, congratulate my honourable friend on his ingenious question. There's a comic element to sending submarines to uh, to sea without missiles in, but in fact it is absolutely serious because the deterrent has been, on a cross-party basis, an absolutely key part of our defence and making sure we've got the uh, we, we've got the ultimate insurance policy, which we support on this side, and we should vote on in this house. And all I can say when it comes to Beatles songs, I suspect that the leader of the opposition prefers back in the USSR. So, Graham, um, Beatles was that was that just sort of sort of an attempt, a, a, a bet by Carl McCartney to get as many Beatles songs into one question in PMQs? Yeah, yeah, and it, I think it just it showed how incredibly relaxed, uh, intensely relaxed, to use Peter Mandelson's old, yeah. old phrase, about this issue they are, that they think they can kind of, as you say, kick it around like a political football. How many puns were there in there? There was Yellow Submarine, there was Twist and Shout, there was Help, help there, was, there was a couple others. Um, it just it shows how, how incredibly strong position they are on this. There's a beautifully it crafted Whip's question, actually, because it actually sounded vaguely <laughs> normal and natural, when obviously it was real. totally staged. And I'm sure every word was written by number 10. Was it actually... Not to do down Carl McCartney. No, not at all. Was it actually funny? I would would, would argue. Is there ever been a genuinely funny joke in in, in the comments? I would say maybe Vince Vince Cable's uh, Mr Bean attack (laughs) on Gordon Brown is probably the only one. Rose-tinted, isn't it? But on, on the seriousness of it, which is what this was all about, was obviously Jeremy Corbyn's line now, infamous one line, floated idea on Ma where he said of uh, the nuclear subs quotes they don't have to have weapons on them now Ned I mean 
It's the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, so Cameron did it in PMQs. On Tuesday, uh, Osborne used that line in uh, Treasury questions. And on Monday, Michael Fallon used it at Defence questions. So three days, three cabinet ministers just reading out Jeremy Corbyn's quotes. I think we'll probably see it every single day for the next five years. It's the first strike policy by CCHQ, isn't it? They're not afraid of firing their guns. Weaponising Andrew Marr, basically, is what's going on. But is it that bonkers? It sounds bonkers. Trident, um, nuclear, a nuclear submarine without nuclear weapons. I know in your memo, <laughs> it does you've, sound been, you've been referring to Nick Harvey's cupboard. Yes. Is that right? Indeed. Yeah, um, well, do you want to explain what, what Nick Harvey's cupboard <laughs> is? Believe it or not, this was actually part of the last coalition government's review of alternatives to Trident, which is a serious view, review of looking at land-based, sea-based, the other kinds of deterrent that you can have if you wanted to replace Trident. Because Trident costs a lot of money, of course. 31 billion quid just on the subs alone an extra 10 billion sort of leeway on top of that. We're talking big, big money, which is why the last government wanted to look at it. It's why the Treasury wanted to look at it. Famously, Danny Alexander said, look, we won't spend... None of this spending is actually going to come from extra money. If we fund Trident, it's going to be from cuts elsewhere, which I think is still the case. It's worth bearing that in mind. Anyway, Nick Nick Harvey's cupboard. Sorry. Nick Nick Harvey's cupboard. Nick Harvey, Sir Nick Harvey, uh, as he now is knighted, was the Armed Forces Minister who had to look at all this. And one of the solutions he came up with was uh, possibly having the submarines, but a a sort of cheaper form of submarine, an astute-class submarine, rather than very expensive successor submarines. And you would... In the meantime, keep the nuclear warheads, quotes, in a cupboard and right. get them out whenever they were needed for an international crisis or whatever. And you just strap them onto the Well, that's the, the problem. I mean, that the problem also, is... your submarines are kind of the other side of the world, and you've got to well, kind of the, nip home to... It's absolutely true. To I mean, Harvey's house in, in the southwest. I've talked to some experts on this, and believe it or not, it takes a whole month to load nuclear warheads right. from <laughs> Faslane onto a sub. It takes a month. It's a serious, complicated business. You can't just do it quickly. As Kevin Jones said in the debate this week, you can't turn it on and off like a tap nuclear deterrent. That's one of the reasons. Um, And on top of that, you've got to have a crew ready and everything else. So it's difficult to put them in the cupboard, let's put it that way. Um, But that was the practical problem with it, the practical sequencing. But there's a political sequencing problem as well, which is, I mean, we were briefed after PMQs, after Corbyn got this kick in. We were briefed by uh, Jeremy Corbyn's sort of senior sources um, on how serious he was about being unilateralist and how actually, if you look at it, the government wants to have a vote on whether or not to renew Trident. But is it really a real vote or is it a symbolic vote is what people around Corbyn are saying. And they've got a point. Um, what needs to happen in the real world before any more of this, these billions can be spent is that the MOD and the Treasury have got to agree that the money is well spent. There's massive procurement exercise where, you, where and when you're spending the money. And... There's a debate going on in number 10. Do we do this early? Do we do this um, to exploit Labour's divisions in March? And that's certainly what Michael Fallon yeah. seems to want to do. There's a lot of talk. In, Nicola Sturgeon was trolling this week on, uh, on, on Twitter saying, oh, it could be next week even when you have this vote. Um, but some people in number 10 say, actually, it'd be much nicer for us if we wait until after Labour's conference, because then Labour may have a unilateralist policy. So then they have there's a lot of politics. And uh, I sort of think that um, the debate is a little bit confused. I mean, the front, the front, the front line of the debate, as it always tends to be at the moment, is, is on is on Twitter, social social media, and there seems to be confusion between the difference between being a unilateralist and a multilateralist. I have to get my teeth in for this because it's quite <laughs> yeah. quite a tough one. 
the, the, the perception seems to be, certainly among, let's say, the, the kind of left, is that if you're a multilateralist, you want, somehow to, bomb you're, you're a, you want to bomb everyone, you're some kind of warmonger, you're, you're a dreadful person. But actually, everyone involved in this argument, certainly from a British perspective, believes in the need for peace and peace and love, John Lennon style, imagine, imagine world that we live in. There's just two very different approaches to get to that. But actually, if you say you are pro-renewal, you're somehow pushed towards the, towards the, the, the yeah. right, seen as some kind of nasty, evil person. And actually, your argument, to, to paraphrase what well, other people would argue, would be, would be that we need to reduce arms together. If we, if we don't do that, you lose Britain as a voice of peace around the negotiation table, and we're, we haven't got a voice, voice in that. And, and, and I just think, as ever, that, that, that kind of nuance of the argument is completely lost on, on social media. Yeah, as ever, unfortunately. Um, now, when it comes to uh, that's looking forward to years in the future, uh, there's been a lot of looking back this week. Um, we saw three different inquests into the May 2015 general election. There was the Electoral Commission's own figures, final figures on what all the parties spent in the election. There was the pollster's own verdict on why they got it all so wrong. And there was the Beckett, Margaret Beckett lessons learned report for Labour. Here's a clip of Margaret Beckett explaining some of the conclusions of her report. The task we had was to try to convince people that they could trust us, particularly with the economy, and to deal with issues that the Conservatives have made, issues of division between people like welfare and immigration. And we weren't able to do that in the end. In the immediate aftermath, a lot of people said, oh, the policies were wrong. Actually, the policies were very popular, um, but people didn't know quite where they fitted. They didn't have a feel for the overall picture of what a Labour government would be and what it would mean. Um, and in the end, we couldn't overcome the huge myth, very well spread by the Conservatives, that it was spending on schools and hospitals by a Labour government that caused the American economy and the Japanese economy and our economy to crash. It, um, my view is quite straightforward. I supported Ed then, I support him now. I think he was an excellent leader. I'm sorry he was so badly traduced. That was Dame Margaret, uh, as she now is. Now, she made a valid point there, which is don't pin this all on Ed Miliband. Um, yeah. Valid in the sense that actually there were much deeper problems, but she got a bit of a kicking from implying that it actually had nothing to do with it. Yeah, I think a lot of the papers ran with kind of saying, you know, don't blame Ed, the report says. I mean, it wasn't particularly like a revelation, was it? You know, people didn't vote Labour because they didn't like Ed Miliband and didn't trust Labour on the economy or immigration. That wasn't particularly kind of new news, was it? So a, a lot of the report was interesting, but I don't think we learned particularly much kind of insight from, yeah. from what happened. I think we kind of knew that already, didn't we? Yeah. The key thing, I think, was she made the point that Labour piled up votes in areas where it, where it didn't need them. Which yeah, which it seems to be maybe doing again. Yeah. So. And maybe there's a lesson there. And, and some of the report was a, was a bit kind of, it went through stuff that we you kind of take as, take as a given that the media is going to be against you and aggressive and that the Tories are going to be quite kind of nasty and, yeah. and playing an aggressive campaign. And there seems to be a lot of dwelling on that, rather than looking at what Labour's mistakes were in terms of policy. There was, there was a fair bit on the kind of crash myth, crash myth stuff, but yeah. not really whether Labour is right to to, to kind of address, address that address that or not. And you should have just parked a lot of that and just said, well, that's a given. Where did we where did we really go wrong here? What did Ed Miliband get wrong? What are the lessons of the future? Yeah. And I, I'm not sure that you would take anything from that report and say. Right, we've we've learned from 2010, and we'll do some. Sorry, 2015, 
and we'll do something fundamentally different in 2020 as a result mm. of that. And part of the point, I mean, the stark figure, as Beckett points out, you know, Labour need, I think it's, you know, 94 seats to have a majority of two or something in, in 2020. And then, as you said, a lot of the report was kind of going into stuff we already knew. That's laid out there. That's what I need to do in five years' time. There wasn't much in it saying, OK, how do we... What do we do now? And that 94 just, just sounded like a cry for help. Yeah. You know, at, the, at, the, at the very end, it was no. like, we got, well, this was, this was 2015, but yeah. bloody hell, yeah, we got to climb. And, and also with Scotland, I mean, you know this, right. Graham, that um, actually, if, you, if Scotland doesn't change, they're going to need a 12.5% swing just to get a majority, which uh, is phenomenal. And there's a boundary review, which is going to stack another, yeah. what, yeah. 20... MPs against them that it's could go the, to tourism, and it's it's pretty, it's actually pretty grim, grim reading. Yeah, it's the future. It is. Think. It might look like grim reading, but what's interesting is the reaction of the Corbynistas. And I've talked to people around Corbyn, and they say, well, I don't know where this media narrative came from that we wanted to suppress this report. We're, we wanted this report out. Why? Because they think it rams home their central point that Miliband was bad at connecting. It wasn't the policies; it was the connection. And they say we weren't connecting strongly enough on anti-austerity. Some of the evidence in the report suggests people do like politicians to stand up to business without being anti-business. They weren't clear about that at all. And that's the central message of the Corbyn camp, which is if you're clear about anti-austerity, then you know, a lot else flows through. And that some of the lines in the report that you saw people on the left of Labour picking up on was the idea that it wasn't their left-wing policies that, that uh, voters didn't like or so they would claim, and they, they would focus on that bit rather than on the kind of the other side of it, which perhaps looks less good for them. But then it said, yeah, Labour was not too left-wing. That wasn't the reason why we lost. But then they said, but we failed to attract voters from the centre, from UKIP, from, from everywhere yes. else. So on, it was yeah. given with one and taken with the other. And that was kind of the fundamental problem with it. It was The report was so, so sanitised. It was I'm all quite sure. Shop, wasn't it? I'm not quite sure what you would actually actually learned It wasn't it. coherent because obviously in other parts there was no connection from Miliband with the voters on immigration and welfare. And is anyone really suggesting that Corbyn's going to be tougher on immigration and welfare in the next election? So it's not easy for the left or the right uh, but a lot of people pointed out that actually it wasn't even Margaret Beckett's own report. It was written by a guy called Alan Buckle of KPMG and there's a lot of uh, derisory remarks made within the party about that. Um, Election spending. I mean, Graham and I went through some of the detail of this, all these receipts this week. Um, the Tories spent three million more than Labour. That's not much more. But it sounds like, I mean, the Tories spent their money better. It, it, it does seem that way. And there seems to be maybe maybe three ways in which they spent their money better. They spent their money on... Oh, I like uh, the list. Go on. Lin, li, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Linton Crosby was yep. a big spending. What was that 2.4 million yep, based yep. they spent on him? Um, you know, it, it largely seen as, as the Wizard of Oz and an election supremo. I mean, he, he probably earned his money, his money for that. Number two, the social media spending that they committed. Uh, two and a half, uh, I can't remember, a, a lot of money, on, of money. On, on, on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. 250 grand on Facebook. Right, on targeted Facebook ads that, that kind of sidestep us in the media, going directly to key seats. Um, Compared to Labour, who spent um, five hundred quid on chicken suits and, and sixteen uh, grand on Facebook. I mean, what a contrast! Sixteen grand. Absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's a drop in the ocean compared to what the tourists. And the Edstone so, was eight grand, so half of what they spent on Facebook went on, a, on the Edstone. And then p- perhaps the, the third one was a little, a little one that I kind of p- picked up on was they spent nine hundred and fifty quid on uh, two photos, one of uh, Alex Salmond and another of Ed Miliband put them together to create a scary attack advert that was uh, Ed Miliband, a tiny, tiny miniature Ed Miliband in Alex Salmon's pocket. Um, and that poster was on billboards across the country in key seats in, 
in areas where the Tories needed to wipe out the Lib Dems. In Could have that captured the campaign, didn't that poster? And scaring the bejesus out of people that yeah. if you vote for Ed Miliband, you will get this big scary bogeyman in Alex Salmond who will, will absorb all the spending that you want to happen yeah. in your constituency into Scotland. And another good example of how effective and efficient their spending was that, though, because it's 950 quid for the rights of those two photos. Yeah. But they knew that in the new media world, you don't actually have to spend money on billboards. Your electronic billboards just go viral. The papers use them. Crucially, the mainstream media use them. The TV use them. So they're getting much more bang for their buck than you would have in the old days. In the old days, both parties spent a fortune on billboards, and right. which a lot of people in the party thought was a waste of money. It's something that's sort of so kind of the media go after that you have to spend that much money. I mean, it's not a parallel necessarily. It's interesting how Donald Trump in the States is doing so well. About a month ago, there was figures that showed he only spent about $200,000 on ads, which is nothing in American politics. That's about a day's advertising in, in one state, whereas the other camp, other people are spending millions on, on ads, you know, Ted Cruz and Bush. But because Trump's so Trump, he's just on the news all the yeah. time. And it, people talk about him all the time for free. And the interesting point is, ultimately, parties, how they spend their own money, tells you a lot about how they might spend your money as a taxpayer. So the lesson of this is, if Labour can't even spend its own cash effectively in an election campaign, but the Tories had brilliant value for money, yeah. what does that say about the way they approach the economy? Yeah. Just throwing that in there. Vote Tory. So. Chucking, chucking that in there. Um, croissant munchers. Dave Watts is the former... Excuse me. <laughs> you two. Um, no, Dave, David Watts, former parliamentary Labour Party chairman, last week famously uh, described the Corbynistas as croissant munchers or people who ate croissants in their million pound houses in North London. Um, this week, uh, Graham, we had uh, a leak from The Guardian of an internal bit of di- data that showed that actually, yes, believe it or not, most of the new members to the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn are, quote, high status city dwellers and they're overrepresented in the new numbers. I mean, not a surprise, but. Could it be a problem for Corbyn? It was a disproportionate number, I think, wasn't yeah. it? So, like, increasingly, there are people from, well, I suppose Islington's the cliche, isn't it? Rather and, than and it goes back to what we were just saying about getting votes, Labour getting votes in the, in, in the wrong places. This is one of the things that did come out in the, in, in the Beckett report, is that people that like the Labour Party were kind of urban, uh, well-off... Um, liberal-minded, basically London. But it's also the, the age thing. Well done in London. And if that isn't what the kind of croissant munching reference is yeah. to, is to London cosmopolitan parts. Now, I live in Islington. I never have a croissant for breakfast. I'll have you to have put that... Kind of supply, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Po- polling. Um, now, the pollsters had their own inquest this week, and they, again, came up with a no-sugar Sherlock conclusion, which was, hey, they didn't really represent Tory voters properly enough in their samples. Um, do, is, do any of us believe the polls now that they've sort of taken that into account, that they're now ringing uh, or trying better to get hold of Tory voters who don't answer the phone? Well, it's hard to know because they, they haven't kind of adjusted their methodology. And you can look at the current polls, which show Labour not doing very well, and they need to still subtract a bit off it, don't you? Yeah. So if they haven't adjusted to what they worked out they, or they say they did wrong, then we still need to make much sure we're factoring that in when we're looking at polls at the moment. And I had a quick chat with uh, Ben Bradshaw, Labour MP, who used to be a Cabinet Minister, um, who's one of the few Labour MPs who did very well at the, at the general election, added to his, added to his um, majority in, in the South West, where Labour isn't strong. So, um, a, a, a strong... Yeah, absolutely. And, and so he, he's, he's probably in quite a strong position to, to comment this. Um, his argument was that the, the pollsters are getting kind of let off by the by the by the media and, and kind of just them kind of shrugging off like shrugging off the, the results of this this 
um, inquest. And his argument was that, he put it out a little bit crudely, that until the pollsters decide to really up their game and invest money in doing proper, proper polling, because the problem is, is that they, they it's, it's pretty kind of um, uh, soft kind of polling poll opponent yeah. to do. It's cheap stuff because it doesn't Internet actually... Internet and phone. Right, it, yeah. it doesn't turn around much, of, much money, money for them. And also newspapers who invariably are buying these polls don't want to spend as, as, as much... Yeah, we might, we His argument was until we can get to a stage where there's fewer polls that are done better and more in-depth, you have to knock 3% off the, the Labour... Um, Holding vote and add three percent to the Tories. Otherwise, it's 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 largely irrelevant. And that was one of the most interesting things I'd heard. I think we're probably going to see. There was quite talk. There's a, a Lord Fawkes saying before the election, uh, a Labour peer, that he thinks Poland should be banned in the run-up to elections, like in France. So I think they might might see calls for that again. But of course, the problem with that is though that it means the public don't see the numbers, but the parties themselves yeah. still get the numbers. I don't know, so I don't think that'll ever actually happen. That, but you might see that sort of that but chat. But the idea back of again. Ben Bradshaw's of, of properly investing in yeah. real research because it's expensive. I mean, the, the, the and that would mean what sitting down with it's people and face to face. It's going back to the same yeah. people, the people who Tory voters, older voters who don't answer the phone. It means knocking on the door and actually meeting them face to face. And the older voters' point is important, isn't it? Because yeah. actually, that report showed the, the Guardian leak that it's younger people joining the party, not older yeah. people, and older people vote more. And I think a lot of Labour MPs are concerned that if they're losing older members, that's exactly. going to affect that as I well. I think the guy from ICM put his finger on it when he said actually. Either we do this properly and invest some real money in it, or we don't do it at all. And if we don't do it at all, then what's the cost of democracy? But there we go. Anyway, that's enough of uh, looking backwards. It's now time for the quiz of the week. Still no jingle, still unfortunately. No, I'd love no to say live from Kappa Street, the quiz of the week. <laughs> but, but it wouldn't be live. And uh, Live from Cuba with, with Owen, um, but he's so back. So over to Mr. Demonic. Yeah, hello, thank you. Oh, no. Anyway, um, so I'm doing the quiz again. Owen Bennett, our usual quiz master, is in, is in Cuba sipping mojitos. Um, he'll be back next week to take over. But this week, um, I thought we'd do a quiz relating to um, Donald Trump, Ooh, who yeah. uh, featured in Westminster Politics Week. There was a three-hour-long debate on you Donald... You sat through every which minute. Which I sat through every minute of whether Donald Trump should be banned from the UK. Uh, utterly pointless debate, given that the government has said he won't be banned. And there was but, no vote at the end of it. And there's no vote at the end of it. So just an excuse for us to look stupid to our US cousins, which 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 we did. If you look, go to Huffington Post and see the video of, in, in one minute of, of quite how uh, America viewed us, that is, um, it's quite telling. Um, but also we had the re-emergence of Sarah Palin on the other yeah. side. Yeah, so the what's the, the quiz? The, the quiz is, is a Sarah Palin-related quiz, and it's called... Pay-in or bail-out? Oh, well, that's not bad. That's not right. bad. So um, Sarah, Sarah Palin gave a, uh, a, a unique speech endorsing Trump this week, and it has amused a lot of people. So you have to tell me whether this quotation is from uh, Sarah Palin or it's not. Sarah so Palin. Bail, so it's a bail-out. I like that. So it's bail-in or bail-out. Okay, so, good, go okay. for it. Terrible. Um, Looking around at you all, you hard-working Iowa families, you farm families and teachers, and teamsters and cops and cooks, you rocking rollers and holy rollers, all of you work so hard, you full-time mums, you with the hands that rock the cradle. Oh, is, that's is that, a bit is that or bailing. I'm saying bail out. It seems too coherent I'm for Sarah Palin. Palin. 
It is Palin. That was oh. that was from her. her, her it speech. could have been a long list of politicians <laughs> who've been to Iowa, but absolutely, it's, absolutely. It's but it was her. it was bona fide. Um, next one. Uh, became a recluse and bought a computer, set it up in the home, elusive big one. On the screen, saw the Holy Ghost, I swear, on the screen. Ooh. Is that, is that Palin or Bailout? Wow. That's... That, that was had rhythm to it. That's all... yeah. yeah. So there was a lot of comparisons between the Palin speech and kind of like hip hop, hip hop yeah. kind of rhyming. And, um, all right, is that, so... is, is that Chuck D or someone? Go on. Well, Bailout, I'm saying. Now you said bailout. that. Bailout, two bailouts. You're right to say Bailout. That wasn't uh, Sarah Palin. It was, in fact, the Fool, the fool and Marquis Smith. <laughs> Uh, known the full name for their indecipherable <laughs> lyrics. Very good um, shoehorning of the full lyrics. Yeah, very kids, good. Google that or ask your dad who the full were. Um, he, number three, he is from the private sector, not a politician. Can I get a hallelujah? <laughs> that was definitely <laughs> Palin. I love that. That's you're saying Palin? Yeah, I'm saying Palin. Yeah, you're right to say Palin. That was in fact Sarah Palin. Um, number four, I'm honoured to shake the hand of a brave Iraqi citizen who had his hand cut off by Saddam Hussein. <laughs> is that Palin? Is that Jeb Bush? No. Is that Palin or Bailout? I'm going to say Bailout. Bailout. Is, it like, is that like George Bush or something? Ned, it's George W. Bush. Very good. Final one. Are you ready for a commander-in-chief? For a commander-in-chief who, who will let our warriors do their job and go kick ISIS ass? Palin. That's oh. definitely Palin. I'm not sure. Go on, Palin, yeah. Was Palin. Yeah, was excellent. Palin. And that's so, the quiz of the week. That concludes the quiz of the week. <laughs> Brilliant. When, when's Owen back? Then it will be proud. Love it. Right. Um, speaking that we're on this sort of relaxed note, um, <coughs> relaxants were a feature in debate in the House of Commons in the Psychoactive Substances Bill when it was debated this week. Um, there was an interesting intervention, not to say surprising intervention, from Crispin Blunt. Here's his words. And there are sometimes, Madam Deputy Speaker, when uh, something is proposed which is, uh, becomes personal to you and you realise the government is about to do something um, fantastically stupid um, and I think in those circumstances one has a duty uh, to speak up and I, am a, I use poppers, I out myself um, as a popper user and would be directly affected uh, by this uh, legislation and uh, I'm astonished uh, and to find that, that, that it's proposing uh, to, be, uh, to be banned and frankly, so would, uh, uh, I think, very many other uh, gay men. And if I follow my own mindset reaction to this, it simply serves to bring the whole law into disrepute. So, Ned, you've monitored this debate. What, what did yeah. you make of it? I don't think it was surprising that Blunt, as a gay man, kind of uses poppers. But it was surprising that he said it in the Commons, just admitting to it. And the, the point is that the government's trying to ban a lot of legal highs. Included in that is poppers. And people are saying it's discriminating against gay Can people. Can we explain what poppers are to the general public? So, <laughs> Amyl nitrate, is it yes. also known? And I think what's interesting about it, they, they think they've realised that actually banning poppers, they probably don't want to do and might U-turn on it. But what absurdly they're going to do is ban them, then do a review, and then maybe unban them. So you've got maybe a few months where they're illegal. So it's kind of probably like you know, panic buying of poppers in Soho right now mm-hmm. as people are trying to get to the shops before they're actually banned for a bit. It's, I think it's kind of a farce. And across the House, like all sides, Labour MPs, Tory MPs, Lib Dem MPs, saying this is just kind of ridiculous. And it seems like they didn't really think through what it was. And it was 
quite funny to be honest so hearing a lot of MPs realising they didn't know what poppers were yeah. and you kind of got the impression they just discovered it a day before the debate or claimed they just discovered it the Mike day before the Freer date Mike Freer got up and it was interesting Mike Freer mm. is a sort of well, is he a junior minister these days he's actually part of the government and mm. um, he, he said actually this is a real problem um, you know this ban and it's quite a brave thing to say if you're actually part of the government in yeah. the debate um, I thought that was quite interesting. I think because a lot of them, I mean, Chris Blunt himself was saying in his speech, you know, he's loyal, he's loyal to the government, but he said it's so kind of manifestly stupid, he couldn't bring himself to vote for it. And so him telling his personal story was him saying, look, this is so absurd, it's going to yeah. affect so many people, and will be viewed so kind of uh, as an uh, attack on, on gay people particularly. And also, by banning it, which something which you shouldn't ban, it kind of undermined the rest of the bill. Not, yeah. that, not the, that the rest of the bill is necessarily a good idea, but if you think it is, by banning that, why would you then think that other things are being banned, sure. deserve right, to be banned? Then this is, it shows yet again that actually Tories shouldn't be in favour of banning things at all, really. I mean, most, most Conservatives, mm. without being libertarian, actually, you know, you know if you write a law and you try and fix something with a law, there's always going to be these unintended consequences. Uh, yeah, well, we've had uh, we've had a lot of talk about banning this week, haven't we? Obviously, the the Trump stuff and and and, and banning this. The, the thing that struck me about the debate was it was it was a, again it was a uniquely kind of British debate, and involved, as soon as it involved kind of sex and uh, private lives yeah. of politicians, everyone was like kind of giggling and kind of the kind of Twitter reaction of kind of oh god, he said he's he, a, a gay man's mentioned that he might he might he might have sex, and the kind of uh, a lot of the kind of tabloid uh, reporting of it the next day. I sound incredibly po-faced which I don't mean to be, but, but it was all kind of like, ooh, ooh kind of saucy, a bit kind of yeah. carry-on and stuff, and I just thought, but actually, there is actually some serious, yeah. as you said eloquently, Ned, you know, there's some quite serious, or is that kind of okay? I think that's being a bit po-faced, because okay. actually, although there was a bit of that reaction on Twitter, a bit of piss-taking, what was interesting in parliamentary terms, you've got an official opposition saying you shouldn't ban this, this drug. Now that's quite, can you imagine 20 years ago, the Labour Party yeah. as an official position saying, no, we should not be banning this substance, right? Um, and equally, I mean, in the old days, it was only the Lib Dems who would talk about, you know, drugs at all. Yeah, and Labour yeah. would be really hardline. You can't, you're loonies, you know, the Labour would hammer, hammer the Lib Dems over this. I remember in the Little Brown Saddleworth by-election years ago, Phil Willis really took the mickey out of Chris Davis for even suggesting that cannabis could possibly be used for medicinal purposes. Anyway, it's, I just think it shows how far we've come. Yeah, okay. particularly the same. I mean, I mean, let's. I mean, the, the debate. It, to be honest, it was quite funny, but there is a serious issue, and I think the idea that you've got a government that's going to ban something before it's decided if it's kind of dangerous or not, and then yeah. unban it, is just kind of really, really quite weird. Well, that's the new normal, quite weird in politics right now. Speaking of which, let's have the final stat of the week from Mr. Ned Simons. Right. I mean, Graham, you mean, which he's researched, oh, yeah, yeah. researched Sorry, himself. Graham stat of it's the a, week. It's, it's a quick Graham one. It's a, it's a quick stat, Graham, week. if you can um, read my handwriting. Yeah, OK. It's a quick um, stat for you. Ha! <laughs> There's a reference to a story we mentioned earlier. Croissants, the breakfast of the Labour Islington elite, are not French, No. It says here. They're not French. Where do you think they're from, Paul? I've got no idea. Uh, uh, actually, the croissants, it's shaped like a cross, maybe sort of... Is it Greece? Because it was close to uh, Turkey and they wanted to... I'm going to put you out of your misery. It's, um, they were invented in Austria. That's what I was going to say. Australia. <laughs> Austria. It says here. It's fact of the week, not stat of the week, to be fair. It's fact of the oh, week. Hang on, it's un- undermining you know, the whole premise of that. I misunderstood what we're doing. You've torn out the rule book. Well, Owen's away, I've gone crazy. I yeah. like that, though. So, croissants are... A 
apparently. Austria. Austria. Apparently, invented in Austria. You heard it yeah, here first, folks. There you go. Great. Well, join us all again next week for another HuffPost Politics podcast. Uh, next week, we're going to have Mr. Owen Bennett back in the chair. And I think Mr. Graham Demonic won't be here. But anyway, enjoy yourselves in the meantime, and we'll see you then. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.